Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at SALT, and so I just want to just say welcome. I'm glad that you've chosen to be here this evening. Tonight, we're going to continue our study through the book of Titus. So we'll be jumping into chapter 2. We'll be covering verses 1 through 10 tonight. And as you're turning to there, I just wanted to just very briefly just set up a little, like just a tiny bit of the context. This is Paul writing this letter to his disciple Titus, and he's encouraging him and instructing him on how to minister to the church that was planted there in Crete, on the island of Crete. And a lot of what this letter focuses on is what leadership in the church looks like and really emphasizes the importance of godliness. So not only is that godliness a requirement for those who are in leadership, but I, I'm hoping that as we continue through this series, we'll see how that, that standard, that call for them is something that we all should follow, even if we don't have the title of leader. Because ultimately, Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one we want to live up to, and not just the level of our leaders. But it is important for us to recognize that high calling for our leaders. And so I also just wanted to mention that part of the reason why we chose this book is not just because it's short and we can squeeze it in before Christmas, but we, going off of our series over the summer, we were in Truth and Love, right? We were talking about the foundation of truth that we have, and then we got into a lot of these difficult topics like gender and sexuality. This letter, I think, kind of builds off of some of that with just emphasizing the importance of holiness and pursuing that as believers. So I'm hoping that this could be an encouragement for you and just challenging us all with how seriously we are pursuing the Lord and holiness in our lives. So again, as we, we, as we continue just thinking about the qualifications for leaders, let's think about how we ourselves want to live up to those as well, at least the ones relating to holy living in our pursuit of the Lord. So tonight, Paul will continue his instruction for what to expect from those within the church. So let's get into it. Titus 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. In everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
All right, so I know there's a lot to unpack in this passage. And so we're going to get into a lot of the distinctions that God has given as far as the roles of men and women. And so I just pray that we can accept what God has for us, the, the things that he is commending or challenging the church to follow, commanding the church to follow. And so I just wanted to just, again, set the foundation here with what we see here in verse 1, and that is to teach sound doctrine. I think this word it sometimes has the wrong reaction from us. We don't like the sound of doctrine. But doctrine is so important. Doctrine and good sound theology. And so I think it's just so important for us to recognize how essential this is for the church. If your church is teaching a watered-down gospel, or if they don't want to talk about sin and repentance, you need to find another church. If your church doesn't want to teach, or that they don't teach, that Jesus is both fully man and fully God, you need to find another church. If your church is changing its stances on morality, or sexuality, or marriage, you need to find another church. If your church doesn't view the Bible as authoritative as the Word of God, you need to find another church. If your church wants to unhitch the Old Testament, essentially throwing it away, claiming that the God of the New Testament is somehow different than the God of the Old Testament, you need to find another church. Sound doctrine is essential, and this is part of why Paul begins this section with that reminder. Teach sound doctrine. Theology and doctrine matter, and this is not something that is just for the pastors and the leaders to know. And so that's something I really want to emphasize here tonight. If it was simply just for the pastors and the leaders, it'd be so easy to be led astray. This is a large part of, what, of the problem that we have seen historically with the Catholic Church. They kept so much of that to themselves as the leaders. They didn't want the average person reading the word for themselves. And so many have been led astray through that sort of environment. We all need to be like the Bereans that we read about in Acts, able to test the things, test scripture for ourselves. We need to take theology and doctrine seriously and seek to grow in them. This doesn't mean that we're all going to reach that seminary level, but this is something that we should all be growing in and taking seriously. And I truly believe that your love for the Lord will continue to increase as you do it. This is not some boring thing that you're just going to use to just try to outsmart your neighbor. This should be helping just grow your love and affection for the Lord. That said, good theology and sound doctrine is a must for all leaders. Because of their influence and their leadership, they are held to a high standard when it comes to theology and doctrine. With that, now we'll look at verses 2 through 5. And so this is where it might start to get a little bit more controversial. So I know a couple weeks ago, Ethan introduced the idea of complementarianism. So we're going to get into that a bit here tonight, as these verses begin to talk about some of the roles between men and women within the church. And so when we say complementarianism, 
We're essentially, like, we are acknowledging that men and women are created differently. Now we know that, biologically speaking, we know that. No matter what our culture might try to say, men and women are created differently. God has wired us differently. We each have our own strengths and weaknesses. And so I think just biologically speaking, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that God has given men and women unique roles to fulfill. And so when we see this, how it plays out in the family and in the church, it shouldn't surprise us. And so the challenge for us is to understand our roles and seek to glorify God in the roles that he has given us. And so I want to make this clear. Complementarianism states that both men and women are equal in dignity and worth, but they have specific roles that are unique. God has given men the responsibility to lead, both in the family and in the church. This is something that was actually established before the fall, right after the creation. We see Adam was created first, and in that, we see the beginning of this idea of headship. Adam was the one who God gave the commandments to. And then we see that Satan, when he goes and tempts Eve, it's possible that Eve heard these commands only second hand. We read in scripture that it was Adam, the one who God gave the command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so part of Adam's responsibility then would have been to make sure that Eve knew the word of the Lord. And we know that Eve did know the word of the Lord. We see that in the encounter in the back and forth between Eve and Satan. We also know that Adam was supposed to guard and protect Eve. And we see that he failed his responsibility, as scripture tells us, he was there right with her when she took and ate of the fruit. So what we see here is Adam failed in his responsibility to protect her, even though he was supposed to be the head and supposed to protect her with the truth. But that idea of headship was there before the fall. Then right after the fall, in Genesis 3, verse 16, God is giving out the curses as the result of curses as a result of sin, and this is what he says to Eve. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. So right there at the end, here in the curse, we see, again, God reiterating this idea that Adam, or the man, will be the one ruling over you. So this is, again, reiterating that idea of headship. So we see it pre-fall and here reiterated post-fall. But the other part that's unique and worth noting here in this description of the curse here is now, as a result of sin, there is now a lot of tension between the sexes. Where there was this easy submission, we now see that there is a lot of temptation on both sides to leave their God-given roles. Now the woman's desire shall be contrary to her husband. In other words, there will be a temptation for the woman to want to take the role in the leadership of the man, to take that which God had given the man. So previously there was peace and submission. Now there is strife between the sexes. Additionally, the temptation for the man 
is to abdicate his role or to be domineering with it, either trying to just be abusive with their power or to just not lead at all. So this is the, the world that we live in. This is part of why this topic is such a big hot button issue, why this whole idea of the roles of men and women, part of why it's so difficult is because we live in this post-fall world. But there's an element of, of this for all of us. We all play a role in accepting our roles and seeking to submit to the Lord in them. We both have sinful desires that we have to combat as we think about the roles that God has given to each of us. So as it relates to the church, the men are the ones who are given the, the call to lead the congregation in teaching and the preaching of God's word and to be in the positions of elder, overseer, or pastor. This is what God has established. But men being in these being the only ones permitted in these roles does not mean that they are somehow more holy or more valuable than women. This is simply just the order that God has established. And I'll even acknowledge that there is definitely some gray area as far as how you define certain roles. But I want to make it very clear, there's lots of room for women to be well-educated and to be able to teach and know God's word and to be in positions of influence within the church. But both in title and function, the roles of pastor, elder, overseer is specifically for men. And we'll get into this a little bit more as we read a couple verses from 1 Timothy. But I also just want to just extend a little bit of grace too as we just think about how uncomfortable this idea might be to us that it's okay to have to wrestle with some of this. We know culturally speaking, this is an offensive message. How can it be that some of these roles are simply off limits for women? But I just want to encourage us to lean into the scriptures and what the word of God has to say to us. God's word is often offensive, but that does not mean that God is somehow unfair or not good. We have to learn to trust him and submit to his ways. And we see that women are supposed to submit to the leadership of the men. But again, they have an essential role to play in the church. And there's even a couple of mentions in the New Testament of women having various roles, such as deacon and other significant serving roles. So I hope I'm communicating this clearly that neither I nor the Bible is anti-women in the church. Women serving faithfully in the roles that God has given them is completely essential in the health of the church. We complement one another because of the way that God has wired us. So now we'll begin to look at these verses a little bit more closely. Verses two through five. Older men are to be sober-minded dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
And I think right there at the end is the part that I want us to hold on to, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is what we're seeking after, is to bring glory to God in the roles that he has given us, to be obedient to him. It's also interesting just seeing a lot of the parallels here in this entire passage that we're covering tonight. Just a lot of the similarities as far as the calls for men and for women. Like these calls of holiness really are the same. There's a lot of these traits that are on both lists. It's also important to recognize verse 4, calling older women to teach and to train young women. This is part of that significant role that women play within the church. Now, some of you might know of 1 Timothy 2 that talks about women not being allowed to teach. So I actually wanted to read that and so we can see how those, how those verses work with what we're talking about here in Titus. So 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 12. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then the verses that follow actually reiterate the part that we already went over in Genesis 3 about the, the role that we see of the headship before fall and after the fall. But what I really wanted to emphasize with these verses is that the, the role of women here is specifically talking about as it relates to positions of authority. That's the kind of teaching that is being talked about here, specifically authority over men. So these verses do not command women to not teach ever. As we see in Titus, they're commanded to teach other women. There's plenty of opportunities there, but as it relates to headship, as it relates to authority in the church, they're not to have that authority. So as you think about roles of pastor, overseer, elder, or even a co-pastor, as a lot of churches today are trying to get away with, those are not roles for women. But what I also love about these verses in 1 Timothy is it just again emphasizes the importance of women pursuing godliness. I think it parallels very well with what we read here in Titus. And I don't think, I think we need to be careful to not undervalue the significance of people just pursuing godliness in general, men and women, like how much of an influence that actually can have. Like seeing other brothers and sisters who are serious about their sanctification and being obedient to the Lord is going to encourage those around them. And you're going to have a bigger influence in that than I think you realize so again, I just want to encourage the ladies to just take advantage of the opportunities that they are given to grow in their own theology, to take that seriously. That's another thing we recognize in these verses in 1 Timothy, is at that time, they weren't given the same opportunities to learn as the men were. But Paul was encouraging them to learn that they should have the same opportunities that men do in that regard. 
And it would be silly if that was for them to not use it, right? So I think even in that, there's this kind of acknowledgement that they are to learn so that they can share that with others. It may not be in the big public spaces from behind a pulpit or in front of entire congregations, but learn so that you can teach other women and the children in your lives. There's lots of opportunities for you to minister in the church. And even in less formal settings, there's nothing that forbids a woman to be able to be able to correct other men as well. So grow in your knowledge of the scriptures. That goes for both men and for women. There's lots of opportunities to spiritually contribute. So complementarianism is a biblical view that men and women are created equal in dignity and worth, but have different roles. Men are to be the spiritual leaders, and women are to serve in submission to that authority. But again, this is all for the glory of God, living in obedience to the way that he has established for us. I also just wanted to make sure that we have a clear understanding of just the significance of the role of of leadership and of teaching. I know Ethan touched on this a bit a couple weeks ago as well. But this is not something that should be entered into lightly, which is why it's emphasized that it's just for certain men. So it's not even quite so simple as this is men's role and this is women's role. This is for certain men, for men who are actually qualified, who are living godly lives already. And recognize that when they do enter into these roles, that one day they will have to give an account for the way that they led and shepherded the flock that God gave them. And that is not something to be taken lightly. So part of the importance for us to know these things is to help encourage these godly standards in our leaders. And that we also may be able to encourage those around us as we just seek to better understand what it looks like to glorify God in our lives, whether we have the title of leader or not. This is something that I certainly think about even when I prepare for something like this. I don't ever want to take this type of teaching lightly. Like, I recognize that I'll have to give an account for how I taught at some point before the Lord. And so even as it relates to a topic like this, I wasn't just going around looking for some of the most controversial topics to to talk about. That's part of the joy of being in a book where you go through verse by verse. You can't just skip around and avoid parts you don't want to talk about. And so this is the only way I feel like I could faithfully talk about this passage was by actually confronting this idea of complementarianism. So ultimately, I'm just trying to be faithful to the word of God. And it's my hope and prayer that we'd be able to submit to that even when it is uncomfortable for us. Also, if you are interested in digging into this more, I just want to recommend this podcast. Uh, Mike Winger did an episode on his Bible Thinker podcast where he compiled about 11 and a half hours of just content of him digging into this topic specifically. And I did listen to the entire thing in preparation for this. 
So if you really want to get into it, like what do these verses truly mean? He does a really great job of, of bringing in a lot of the differing perspectives. And he also shares why he believes that a lot of these other views fall short and why he also landed on the position of complementarianism being the biblical view. So I would encourage you to check that out if you're interested. You don't have to spend the whole 11 and a half hours listening to it, but it could be a good starting point if you're interested. So again, ladies, I just want to again encourage you to take theology seriously, to study it, to study God's word diligently, to be able to teach in the opportunities that God has given you, to be able to share the truth and the gospel with those around you. And again, you are allowed to share the gospel with other men. There's nothing that forbids that. There's plenty of opportunities for all of us. And for the guys, again, be serious about theology. I think part of the encouragement here is that, that we take the initiative to lead, that there wouldn't be such a void that leaves more of a temptation for women to try to fill that. When we leave positions of leadership vacant, I think that's where you see some of that temptation for women to lead comes from. So I think there's definitely responsibility on both sides there. And I know I am certainly a very competitive person. That's part of why I love sports so much. And so as I, as I just think about theology, is it wrong for this to be an area within the church for us to actually be competitive in? Like, what if, as men and women, we actually try to, like, out-theology each other? <laughs> like, don't worry about the grammar on that. I'm sure that's not even close to how you properly should say that. But what if we took theology so seriously that we were so serious about encouraging each other to grow in that, that we'd view it almost competitively, not to beat each other in the head with the Bible verses that we know or have learned, but to truly seek to build up the body of Christ. And I just know from some of my own experience, having good theological debates and discussions goes such a long way for you to just help understand your own views, helps you better articulate them to others, helps you even see some of the holes in your thinking. I think this is an area that we could do so much better in. I don't think you can have enough or too many theological conversations. So I pray that that's an area that we can all grow in and encourage each other to grow in. All right, now back to Titus 2, with having at least hopefully a decent understanding and foundation of complementarianism. We'll see a little bit of the distinctions between the roles of men and women here, which is why I wanted to go over that. But I think it's important to note here in both verses 2 and 3, for both men and women, there's this note of older. And this is just emphasizing the value in age and experience. So respect your elders. And within the church, their years of faithfulness should be really evident in the church. On top of that, there should be just extra encouragement of seeing somebody, especially if they're discipling, seeing that faithfulness being poured over into other younger people. And they deserve honor 
for their faithfulness, older men and older women, their presence should be noticeable in your church. And truly healthy churches will have a strong presence of older men and women leading there. So just some questions for us to think about. How can we love and honor and serve the Lord faithfully in the role that he has given us as men or women? And just recognize that, again, the role of, of these leader roles of elder overseers is not for everyone, not even all men. So even if you don't have that title, how can you serve the Lord faithfully with where he has placed you? So now without getting caught up in this whole older part, because I know most of us here would not consider themselves older, in verses 2 and 3, let's look at some of these characteristics and just let the Word of God just challenge us in how we can grow in holiness in these areas. We see, I'm just going to list the things that we see in these verses. The men are called to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. So be faithful in the word of God. Live that out. Seek to live that out in every area of your life. Be self-controlled and strong in the Lord. Which again, I think it's worth noting the few of these that we'll see in both lists. For the women, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not drunkards, able to teach, self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husband. So my encouragement to the ladies is to be thoughtful with your words, to pursue the Lord and submit faithfully to the godly leaders that God has given you. And for the, the submission here that is described that is within marriage, I think this it's worth just emphasizing how, how much easier this kind of submission is if you choose a godly spouse. So don't settle. And then love and support your husbands and your children. And don't undervalue that role that you have within the household. As it relates to submission, I'm just going to kind of plug this. In the new year, we're going to be going over the book of Ephesians. So I'm not going to get into submission too much now. We'll cover that when we get to Ephesians here in a few months. But I just want to prep you for that. I'm excited about that. But just the encouragement that just as the women are supposed to submit to their husbands, but then the call for the men is to love and serve their wives just as Christ loved and served the church. We see the high calling on both sides there. And I mentioned able to teach. We see here, teach what is good. I think this, again, just emphasizes that there are opportunities for women to teach. Teach the other younger women and children. Be able to teach, also emphasizing the importance of knowing your Bible, being able to teach those that God has given you influence over. And again, work at home. This doesn't forbid work outside of the home. But I think this just emphasizes the importance of just not being lazy, but also to take responsibility in another realm that God has given you responsibility. Like, don't diminish the value of the work that you do at home, especially as it relates to raising kids. And be self-controlled. This is one that we see, I think, four times in just this section, just the call for us to be self 
self-control. This is one that's both for men and for women. And as I was just thinking about that one in particular, it just kind of struck me, like, how seriously do we actually take self-control? Like, we might read it on virtually every list throughout the New Testament that is remotely like this on what godly living should look like. But how seriously do we actually take self-control? I know for myself, this is definitely an area that I could grow in. So I just want to encourage you to be thinking through not just self-control, but just any of these in these lists. Where do I need to grow? And let's not try to just be content with where we are at spiritually. So again, we see many of these several key characteristics of holy living in both of these lists. And that's why many of these are even listed in both. The the goal and the call for all of us is to strive for holiness. That we might be seeking to bring God glory through our pursuit of holiness. As it does bring honor to his name. And back to the men here in verses 7 through 8. I'll just read those real quick. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. When it talks about showing yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, how do you feel you're living up to that? And just another question, like, do you care? Do you care if you recognize that you're not living up to that? Sometimes it's easy to just go really fast through these lists and not really be introspective about them. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. I know that teaching here is listed for the men in this context. But again, I think that this is something that we should all be prepared in. And it reminds me of what it says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we'd always be ready to make a, dis- a defense to everyone who asks asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So again, just the encouragement that we'd all be pursuing our theology and our knowledge of God's words so that we would be able to give an answer to anyone who asks and in every opportunity we have. These verses speak of a lot of these characteristics that should be found in our leaders. But I don't want us to be thinking that this doesn't apply to us. So I hope that I've helped us to see how this applies to us. So a few more questions for us to consider. How can I live in a way that honors Christ everywhere I go? So I know we just passed Thanksgiving but maybe think back to your Thanksgiving. What does it look like to honor Christ at a Thanksgiving gathering? Were there areas where you feel like you weren't living up to that? And so part of why I want us to think about that is because that's likely not our last holiday gathering for the year. So think about what it might look like to honor Christ at your Christmas family gathering. Or even just more specifically, or like every day at work. What does it look like to honor Christ when you're getting coffee with a friend or when you're arguing with a coworker? 
Can you exercise sound speech and honor Christ when debating politics? Encouragement is to seek out these opportunities, but remember how important our witness for Christ is. I believe that we should be known not for our strong opinions, but for our biblical convictions. That we can share those in a truthful and loving way. Last couple of verses for us to consider here tonight, and then I'm hoping we'll still have some time for, for small groups. Verses 9 through 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So here is another area of submission for bond servants to submit to their masters. So I know it's not a perfect comparison, but probably the closest thing we have today is just considering your life at work and your submission to your boss. I know what, what Paul's talking about here is likely a much worse, more abusive relationship than what we have today. But how can you be a worker who works with integrity, who can be respectful and honor those in authority over you? How can you seek to please them, even if they aren't the best boss? We don't want to do things that go, we won't do things that go against God's word, but we can still treat them well, even if we feel like they don't deserve it. And don't be argumentative. I think that can be a, one thing that can really set a Christian apart from a non-Christian. Showing all good faith, loyal, trustworthy, dependable. I think these are characteristics that should be found for Christians in the workplace. And all these things, our goal is to be a light, to be an example. We want to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. And the word adorn here is where we get the word for cosmetics. So it's this idea of just arranging something in a proper order to give it symmetry or beauty. So as it relates to our witness, I think this quote from John MacArthur is helpful. What makes the church attractive and influential in the world for the Lord is not its strategy or its programs, but the virtue and holiness of its people. His people, therefore, are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior by their submissiveness, by the excellence of their work, by their respectful attitude, by their honesty, and by their loyal service to their employer. And again, this is regardless of how well we think they deserve it. We're seeking to honor the Lord through the way that we treat our bosses. We want to be a light to those around us. We're living for the Lord and not for those around us. But even in this last verse, we see again the emphasis of doctrine. So what would it look like for the church to love doctrine and theology? Not out of legalism, but in a serious, interested pursuit of the Lord. We want to hold fast to the word of God, the very word that Christ has entrusted to us. So the closer we are to the truth, the better we are. I was reminded of this quote by Charles Spurgeon. 
as it relates to discernment. It says discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. This is part of why doctrine and theology is so important. There's a lot of bad theology and influence of false teachers in the church. And I truly believe that the majority, the vast majority of those would not be an issue if just the average churchgoer truly knew their Bible. And so that's just my encouragement to us, that we really take theology, doctrine, knowledge of the Word of God seriously, so that we wouldn't be led astray, and that we can be the light that God has called us to be. So I just wanted to close tonight with just a little bit of encouragement. I know a lot of what we've covered might be convicting or difficult to submit to, but I just want to encourage us with a reminder of the gospel and the call for all of us to submit to the Lord. We are all, men and women, equally dumb, selfish, and foolish, sinful people. We all want to go our own way, but that is not what we were meant for. And the good news for us is that Jesus has come into the world to live the life we were meant to live, but we didn't because of our sin. And he bore the penalty for that sin on the cross. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have the opportunity to have our relationship with God restored. Because of what Christ has done for us, God no longer sees our sin if we put our faith and trust in him. The debt that we owed for our sin is transferred to Jesus, paid for by his blood. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In God's eyes, if we put our faith and trust in him, he sees us as blameless, as righteous. So I just want to encourage us with just the, the magnitude of what Christ has done for us and recognize just how, how that really should influence and impact every area of our life as we now seek to live for him, to submit to him because of what he has done for us. We are now in this process of sanctification, of slowly, over time, becoming more and more like him. And this is something we get to spend the rest of our lives doing. We are no longer our own. We are bought at a price. So for the, call, the call for us tonight is to submit to him. We have to recognize that we cannot serve two masters. We must choose if we're going to serve God or not. My encouragement, again, is for us to just take our faith more seriously, to be introspective and thoughtful about how we can live it out in every area of our lives, and to take that knowledge of God, the theology, the doctrine, seriously, to grow in that, and to seek to be obedient to the Lord.